right, and with that, we welcome you back once again to another episode of the One Giant Podcast. Where, as always, I am Adam Armbrecht, and over there is Andy Makowitz. Are you feeling good today, Andy? I'm not feeling good, Adam. I'm feeling great. That's what I'm feeling. How are you oh, doing, my, my good God. friend? Uh, listen, as we know, I do, I, I do some other sports coverage. It was a thriller last night over in the NBA, so I was up late just soaking that in. And uh, listen... I'm hoping that some of the scrappiness and grit that we've seen from the Brooklyn Nets over an eight-game restart down in Orlando can maybe rub off on the New York football giants as we work our way through this offseason. Wouldn't that be nice to have a nice little scrappy New York football team to cheer for this year? Oh, one can dream, as opposed to a a, a a non-scrappy, non-results-oriented team that we've been watching the last couple of years. Uh the, the first thing that we'll get out of the way here, uh, I don't want to call it the house cleaning kind of news. Unfortunately, the offseason has been marred by some off the field issues and uh, and what we're going to do around those those positions on the roster. What can you update us on regarding one DeAndre Baker? Yeah, so DeAndre Baker was charged with uh, quite a few different crimes. Uh, we don't need to get into too many specifics. It's four I different counts, but... Uh, essentially what it is, is that they're felonies. And, uh, as an example, one of them has a minimum sentence of 10 years. So, uh, obviously for good reason, uh, the NFL did the giants a favor and put him on the commissioner's exempt list. Uh, because if they didn't essentially the giants would have to cut him, uh, without being able to play the, the legal system out. So good on the NFL for actually taking, uh, you know, the decision out of the giants hands and, and being able to delay it until the legal process takes, you know, shape yeah and unfortunately it's it's gotten worse as opposed to getting better over the course of it and then you know that 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 will play itself out as we say and uh the the chuckle there was really just the frame the framing around it of several crimes it's you know i i went to the store and i picked up several sandwiches i was having a bad day so (laughs) we'll see how it plays out for him and then in addition to that uh, inside the roster at the position at outside cornerback so obviously deandre baker was slated there to be the starter then we start to move down the roster and say okay if we're not going to have deandre baker we turn our attention to a player like sam beal who will finally have an opportunity to be healthy and and get out there on the outside play across from bradbury and, and put his best foot forward so what do we anticipate from from sam beal this season andy Ah, we anticipate him watching a lot of football on the couch because <sighs> Sam Beal decided to opt out of this season. He joined uh, fellow giant Nate Solder in opting out, which, you know, for any anyone that needs to do it for family reasons or any reasons altogether, um, you know, wish him the best. But for the New York Giants, it does not bode well when you're losing two of your potential three starting cornerbacks uh, to start the year. Yeah, supplemental draft pick obviously spent on him a couple of years ago, had injuries, got on the field, you know, late last season, it really along with DeAndre Baker as well. A couple of uh, nice plays, had some good reps out there that we thought maybe there's something that you can build on here. He'll opt out. And like you said, for whatever the reasons that he chose to do it, it's, it's nothing that we're going to judge as far as that goes. But now we lose another cornerback on the roster and the Giants went out there and all the all the chatter was uh, we're, we're going to go ahead. We're going to bring in a familiar face, uh, a guy that's also familiar with Bradbury from Carolina days. And that was one Ross Cockrell. Uh, what, what are the uh, contract details there, Andy? And when can we expect him to join the Giants in camp? 
Ah, so those contract details, you know, it's just crossing the T's, dotting the I's, and then it all crumbles and falls apart overnight. And the eminent signing of Ross Cockrell turned into the no signing of Ross Cockrell. And the Giants uh, had to kind of pivot and just try to figure out who else in the free agency market they, they could go after. You know, Adam, I always find it fascinating when these things fall apart. It's like, how close were you? And then all of a sudden you're just not a member of the team. Like, was it over a signing bonus of like 50 grand? Was it over injury language? Like how, how do these things fall apart at the last second and they can't just like find some middle ground in the whole situation? Yeah, especially when you think about a guy like Ross Cockrell, uh, you know, a veteran in the league. Uh, you know, I wouldn't call him an elite player at the cornerback position. We, we've seen him on the t- on the roster for the Giants. He had some success. I think he's a nice depth option for a team, especially if you're one that maybe has some aspirations for a season. Nice to have him there as a safety net. But to your point, it's weird to think about because I, I think the rumor was it ended up coming down to the idea of, well, what's my guaranteed reps? You know, I, I want to be kind of locked in here to this starting role. And Ross Cockrell probably excitedly went to visit with the Giants thinking, yeah, you lost Baker, Sam Beal opts out. You guys need somebody to start. And I've heard that Joe Judge and the Giants just were, they weren't offering guarantees in terms of playing time. They're saying you can come in and compete. We want to sign you to compete. And I think that that ultimately was what turned uh, Ross Cockrell off to it, as opposed to any of those dollars and cents things. Um, and at that standpoint, if I'm Ross Cockrell, I, I if you have confidence in yourself, come in and compete and win that starting job. Uh, and then on the Giants side of it, I liked it because I think it still sends that signal of. We have some young players on this roster, and they're going to have every chance to get that starting role. Yeah, I I do like uh, the Giants' approach. You know, they haven't gone out and signed a, a veteran, um, you know, to to replace Baker or Beal. Um, what they did in a subsequent move um, was sign uh, Prince Smith out of the University of New Hampshire. He uh, originally signed with the Eagles as an undrafted free agent. Uh, was released, uh, la- I believe it was last week by the Eagles when they uh, trimmed their roster down uh, to the 80-man uh, roster limit. And so he's 5'10", 192 pounds. Um, he's an interesting you know, young talent, as we talked about before, to bring in uh, to try to replace some of that production from that, that we're going to lose from Baker and Beal. Yeah, and you know we've, we've talked about this off-podcast. Like, I'm not saying that I I set a high expectation for him coming in, but I I think about, again, given where the Giants are, it's the rebuild process. It's getting in younger talent to this roster. This feels like the kind of move that I can at least get behind on paper saying, right, young player, undrafted free agent, give him a shot in camp because the position battle is going to be wide open. So why not bring in some more guys that you you go back? By the way, this happens especially around the offseason in the training camp. You go back and you look at, well, where did we have this guy on our draft board or even an undrafted free agent prospect? You say, how did we look at him? He may have been one of our primary targets following the draft. You know, We know the Giants dipped into the wide receiver pool a lot there, but this may have been a guy, if given the opportunity, we would have liked to have him in camp. And that's what you give yourself here. Well, and on top of Prince Smith, you know, we, we kind of know that Bradbury and Ballantyne are locked into some kind of major contributing roles at this point. Uh, we expect Darnay Holmes to, to be in there as well, um, you know, fourth round pick out of UCLA. But in addition to that, Adam, if we're not going to go out and sign any veterans, it really starts coming down to the depth 
uh, that we picked up, you know, that young depth that we talked about before. And there's basically two other cornerbacks on the roster that could be intriguing as we move forward. And the first one is Christian Angulo. He was an uh, undrafted free agent out of Hampton. Um, he is 6'2", 200 pounds. He is kind of uh, a spinning image of, of DeAndre Baker on the field where he likes that press coverage. He likes to get up in the face. He really um, disrupts routes for, you know, these wide receivers trying to get into their, you know, five or seven, seven uh, step breaks. His nickname is Strat, which is kind of interesting. Don't know why. Not going to speculate, <laughs> but um, it will be interesting to see if Strat can get on the field and contribute for the Giants, knowing that he kind of has a lot of, of similarities to Baker. So if you slotted Baker in to start the season at one of these cornerback positions, you know, with his size and stature and the way that he plays, he might be a nice uh, replacement piece there. Well, and that's again. You mentioned the size. I think that that's important when you when you talk about the Giants in the secondary overall, because even though and I think you had pointed it out, and rightfully so, the comparables in terms of size, uh, I think forty time even when you looked at uh, Jack Rabbit Janoris Jenkins compared to Darnay Holmes, right? Like, there's an opportunity there. You you can see this guy transitioning out. There's no reason to. Uh, turn your eye away from a player on the outside just because maybe you'd prefer if they were a little bit bigger. However, I think natural size and natural strength goes a long way to being in, in a solid position from the jump. So again, young guy on the roster who has maybe a leg up in the room just being naturally gifted. Now, can you understand the playbook? Can you can you execute on the outside and to do it effectively? That That's to be determined, but it, it should be fairly wide open. Um, you do mention, you know, Ballantyne, uh, limited. Obviously, he came off of that uh, non-football related injury. Thankfully, uh, you know, unfortunately, lost a friend in that incident. Uh, ended up taking a, a bullet wound himself prior, uh, just following the draft. Actually, uh, after being drafted, and you wonder if there was injury, how much that impacted him on the field, just being able to get his reps in training camp. So I don't want to hold his performance on the field last year against him. And then now you're talking about maybe getting a chance to see reps on the outside as opposed to his initial opportunity came in the slot, which maybe isn't ideal for him given his size. Yeah, the, and, and the size thing is interesting because, uh, you know, the other cornerback depth that I looked at is uh, we signed uh, Chris Williamson, uh, seventh-round pick, drafted uh, out of Minnesota. He's six foot, 200 pounds, so another guy with a lot of, a lot of size. But – he plays a little bit different than than Angulo does, and and he seems to to kind of project to most scouts as an inside slot guy, which is kind of where you know we we anticipate Ballantyne playing because of his size and stature. So, you know, when I think about this depth and we, and we look at the the Giants roster, Adam, I know you don't really want to go out and sign a, a veteran that's going to potentially take away snaps from some of these younger players, but I gotta say. If we were planning on signing Ross Cockrell, right, who's 29 years old, and he had a you know pro football focus grade of 57.5, then why are we not looking at Drake Kirkpatrick from you know the Bengals, who is 30 years old? He's a year older than Ross Cockrell, and had a 61.7 PFF grade, and also played for Joe Judge when Joe Judge was on the coaching staff at Alabama. So there's familiarity there. So for me. I'm kind of lost why if we're going to go the veteran route, which it looked like we were with Ross Cockrell, why why we're not even bringing Drake Kirkpatrick in for a visit. Yeah, and I thought it was weird that when when this when the uh, conversations around Ross Cockrell came out, they said, "Oh, familiarity." Now he played in Carolina, so you can say 
I don't know if that overlaps with the Gettleman time there, you know, so there could be a connection there as well. Obviously played for the Giants, but it's saying new coaching staff, new regime here, right? So uh, I'm not really drawing that that connection as strong as other people maybe were. Now, from a Kirkpatrick standpoint, you probably look at it and say, well, if if Joe Judge isn't bringing him in, then he obviously has he has the the the, the closest knowledge around this guy going back to his college days and saying, yeah, I, I know what he is. And I'm not necessarily looking to bring in that type of player. Uh, now, it is weird to me when you cast a wide net when you talk about bringing in a veteran quarter cornerback. I don't want them to bring in a veteran quarterback. I, again, I, I like that they brought in Prince Smith. I'm, I'm interested to see about some young guys on the roster. I've I've been ruminating on this for a while about how do you want to maximize the value of the best players that you have on that defense. And when you think about Patrick Graham coming over from Miami, there's a lot of things to suggest there, whether it's running cover zero, where that where you're eliminating the safeties on the field and you're going to go man-to-man. They play a ton of man-to-man. I think 50% of the time they found themselves in a man scheme. So when I look at a free agency, a combination of things, um, you know, Drake Kirkpatrick as well, even Ross Cockrell, not an incredibly strong. Now we're using pro football focus just to give you that, that sense of rating. So there's a, a one-to-one comparison here. Most of the Giants roster last season lived somewhere in the mid to low 60s. And then you talk about a player like Ballantyne who struggled and was sub 40 in that rating. When you go over to the current free agent pool, some of the best value, just in terms of on the field results, are actually at the safety position. And you can look at a couple of guys, uh, Clayton Gaithers, who played for the Colts last season. He's 28 years old, so he's not young, uh, and he's going to be uh, he's going to ha- certainly ha- be a traditional safety in that sense. You're not going to l- use him all over the field like a Swiss Army knife. But I assert that you might be better off bringing in extra depth, and this is where I'm okay with it being a veteran-type player, so you have a proven commodity there at the safety position so that you have the flexibility to use, whether it's Peppers, whether it's Julian Love, who we're all pretty high on coming out of his rookie performance, or our rookie this season in McKinney. Because Xavier McKinney came out, you know, these, I don't have these numbers directly in front of me, but he rated 90 in coverage. He rated 90 in man-to-man. He rated, uh, or sorry, in blitz in blitz packages. He rated 84 in uh, run support. So this is a guy that can be used across the board for your team. I don't want him taken off the field. And, and by bringing in some extra depth at safety, you allow yourself to maximize the usage and versatility of the players you have. You just naturally have the best talent and versatility for the secondary concerns at the safety position. That's the way the rosters shook out for you. Well, uh, Patrick Graham agrees with you because, you know, he was doing some, some uh, interviews with the media just a couple of days ago. And uh, everyone was asking, what is your base defense going to be? Is it going to be a three, four? Is it going to be a four, three? Is it going to be a four, two, five? And Patrick Graham's casual answer was Yes. So what, what does that tell you? It, tell, it tells it tells me, you that he's a coy boy, just like Joe it, Judge. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he, he, he is in line. The, the, the brand messaging is, is strong with him, right? What, um, what are you going to play? What are you going to play? This defense, we sure will. Yep. Yep. We're, we're going to go out there and compete. Yep. That's, that's all, all he needs to say. And I, I think it, it's interesting because the way the Giants um, roster is constructed, you absolutely want – you know, as many, you know, our three headed monster of our defensive line is really where the strong suit is of our team. 
from there, we kinda, it kind of gets a little bit murky in terms of who's our, our next best player or who's the guy we lean on in the secondary, you know, in the linebacking core. So I think, Patrick, I could see the Giants defense being one of those where, like, there may not be, you know, with the exception of the three guys I mentioned, there may not be that many hands on the ground when the quarterback's about to snap because we want to be able to give all these different exotic looks, and we might be able to have that this year with the versatility of guys like Julian Love who can play safety or or nickel cornerback if we need to. You have that versatility in in Jabril Peppers who can get up in the box and and do, and do a lot of like run run stopping or, or blitzing. As you said before, McKinney has all of this different versatility. I could see a scenario where we're just throwing crazy exotic looks because we can, you know, our, our linebacking core goes eight deep at this point. Our, our safeties, we have three solid safeties and our cornerback position might not be the one, you know, it's the one where we need to get lucky and kind of get one of these young guys to step up. But yeah, I, I like the idea of, of throwing all these different looks at people. Well, and that's, you know, again, because look at the free agent market, look where, you know, it's, it's a weird off season, all of those things. Like, there's not somebody out there, and that that that's that's as much as the reason why I think the Giants should go this direction. Anything is there's not the answer out there for you. If there was, you would have already had him on the roster, right? If you thought that there was someone in the draft that you could have gotten in a particular round early on there, prior to you know or following addressing all the other needs you had on this roster, you would have done so. The other thing that you brought up there, which I, I was thinking about just now too, is you say about um you have the big three up front on this defensive unit. When you get into the linebacking core, we obviously think about Blake Martinez. We like him anchoring that defense and and being the vocal leader there, but he's not known as a coverage linebacker, right? And then you think about even a guy like Lorenzo Carter, not really going to be a coverage guy for you. So when you talk about exotic looks from the defense, you could also potentially see times where Patrick Graham chooses to go the route of utilizing Peppers and maybe McKinney and bringing them down towards the box and saying, you are our linebacker safety kind of hybrid where we trust you to be there and run support when we need to. We'll take that risk reward of being a little bit undersized there. But we've seen this over in, in the NFL over the last handful of years where linebackers are getting leaner and are getting much, you know, it's about quickness and getting from sideline to sideline. So away from the traditional look that we see from a linebacker spot. And then you get a guy who can maybe drop back into coverage as well. If you need to, if they're labeled as a linebacker. And by the way, when we talk about guys that are out there on that free agent market, one of the other names that came across my mind, now this is again, 30 year old veteran, but Tavon Wilson, who played for the Detroit lions labeled as a linebacker, but came out as a safety originally played to for your reference, nearly the 72 pro football focus rating had 71 tackles, 14 assists uh, came up with one sack along the way as well. Like that's the kind of guy. And if I have real quick here, a player who is coming in at six foot two twelve, so labeled a linebacker, but that's not the kind of mass that you usually think about. That's the kind of guy that I think, you know, age aside, brings value to the roster. Where you go, listen, your depth, you're there for that kind of value. But if we choose to use McKinney in a certain way, well, we know that we can maybe throw you on the back end there. If we choose to go leaner across the front line, maybe you step down into the box to help in the run support in some of those sub packages. And, and that's where I think you. For a young team rebuilding, this is how you catch oppositions off guard, right? You don't know where the threat comes from, and you don't know how we're going to utilize these versatile players. Well, Adam, to your point, what is the goal for the New York Giants this year? Like, what is it? Is it to make the playoffs? Is it to win? The, like, we know it's to win the division, but is it really to win the division this year? Like, I don't think 
I don't think anyone outside of, of the players and coaching staff believes that the Giants are, are the favorites to win the NFC East. So for me, you know, we, we did an early on schedule and we broke down how many games the Giants would win. And we basically came, came around four or five games, right? So, so when you think about that, we're not looking for this complimentary piece to, to get us over the top or to, you know, win the division. Like, what we'll talk about in a minute with the Dallas Cowboys making some of these veteran signings, you know, they, they, they may think they're one player away. We're not. So to your point, if the goal of this year is to develop young talent that we know is going to be here for the next five years, then that's, then we need to be a little bit more diligent with the type of people we bring in and the signings we may make. Yeah. That's, you said it with, with the Dallas Cowboys, like expectations, right. And, you know, especially in an off season where you don't get the training camp, we've heard a lot about this. If you're if you're a team like the Giants, new head coach, new systems coming into play, uh, you're going to struggle because you don't get the traditional off season. You don't get those preseason games. Now, on the one hand, you say, right, so it's going to be dangerous as you start as you get into the schedule. You're going to maybe take some lumps. Yeah, you may. But but the other alternative of bringing in a veteran, a, a Kirkpatrick, a Ross Cockrell is. Well, now you're taking away reps that you've already lost from the young players. So as you work through the season and as you work towards next year and hopefully a more traditional offseason program, these guys are still going to be kind of that half rookie, right? And you're going to need to continue to develop them and bring them along. So the combination of expectations going into a season aligning with how you want to build your roster is incredibly important. And you'll, you'll bring up the Dallas Cowboys and what they did here recently. Uh, but before you do, it's, you know, when, when Solder opted out, Everyone said, boy, you're getting not you're getting $10 million off the books here this season. By the way, it only kicks the can down the road and they'll be on, on the books for two more years. But just because that freed up, you're not a team that then says, oh, okay, so where can we spend $10 million right now? What you're really thinking is, hey, let's go ahead and hold on to that because we know we're going to have to spend it next year. And then maybe as we work through the season or work even through August here, if we see an ideal kind of player – Again, didn't cost $10 million to bring in Prince Smith. But as you see some young players around the league getting cut, you go, that's what we have it here for, so that we can grab these bodies and get them in and rotate through and see if a player like we haven't mentioned, Grant Haley, you know, you're probably on the outside looking in right now and underneath this new regime. So maybe there's another slot nickel corner that's a young player that you'd like to take a look at this year that rotates up and just starts to bump some of these other guys down. So, you know, just because you have it don't mean doesn't mean you have to spend it. And I'm happy that the Giants haven't taken that route. On the other side of things, a player that again, this is what fans were clamoring for. Why didn't why didn't you go get this guy as the Dallas Cowboys did? Yeah, and and they did so in a big way. The Dallas Cowboys uh, ended up signing uh, defensive end Everson Griffin to a one year deal. And when the financials came out, I think everyone kind of went, huh, like. What's going on here? And uh, it's a one-year deal, $3 million guaranteed, and then an, an additional $3 million can be uh, added in incentives uh, being active during games and things like that, which if as long as he doesn't get hurt, he's going to reach those goals. So it, all in all, it ends up being a one-year $6 million deal for Everson Griffin. Um, your thoughts on on him signing with the Cowboys? 
Well, you mentioned it, right? A team with expectations. So they feel like they may just be a piece or two away from cementing themselves as they go towards the playoffs. So it makes all the sense in the world from the Dallas Cowboys standpoint. Um, you know, when when Giants fans start to get up in arms about why aren't we bringing in this player? Again, you don't know if Everson Griffin is willing to sign a three-year deal with incentives with the New York football Giants because there's not necessarily a big opportunity to win. It may have cost you more to get him in the door. So uh, I, I think it makes all the sense in the world for Dallas. I understand fans asking, you know, questioning what the Giants are doing, but this just goes back into what we've been talking about. You want to build the young talent. You, you don't want to take reps away from some of the younger players potentially. So I, I'm okay with the fact that the Giants didn't bring him in. And if you want to – be in the position of saying, "Do are we going to spend some of this money?" Um, you know, a player like Clowney, who these are these are guys that were testing the market and seeing that it wasn't the way they thought it was going to shape up this off season. You may still have an opportunity to bring in a veteran player on a bit of a quote, you know, sweetheart deal. And I, again, I guess I just don't know if do you want the veteran on a, on a low deal with the incentives? Because do you want, do you want to be paying it out that way? Right. Do you want to be you're not locked into it? The NFL is built that way where you're, you can bring in a guy for one year deal on a reset market. And maybe a player like Clowney is someone that you still sniff around and say, can you try to reset the market again for yourself after your time in Seattle? Well, you know, look, I think giant fans, yes, yeah, see that number. And they say, we could have had Everson Griffin for that number. And, it takes two to tango. Like he might not just want to play for the giants. Like it doesn't right. even matter what the money was. Right. He could just be like, I want to play for a contender. I'm, you know, on the other side of 30, I probably only have a couple more years as an explosive defensive end left him in, in, in the tank. You know, where can I go make the playoffs and have a chance to compete? And yeah, it, it is interesting that, that the price that Dallas got him for. I mean, you think about what Marcus golden is coming back for. He feels underpaid at the $5.1 million that we're essentially going to be paying him this year. And Everson Griffin had nine sacks. He had a uh, you know pro football focus rating of 77 last year. So like mm-hmm. they're getting him on a steal. And just to throw that in perspective, my, my crush, Yannick Ngakwe, only mm-hmm. graded out at a 72 last year. So that's showing the type of production that Everson Griffin has, you know, had in 2019. We were hoping he can still maintain it, you know, as his age continues to creep up there. But that's the type of player that Dallas is getting late in the free agent market. I mean, that's a home run for them. Yeah, no. And listen, you talk about that 5.1 essentially for gold and he graded out as a 60. So, you know, you right. can think about that. And, and by the way, I know it's not just in, like we always talk about this, right? It's not just the pro football focus numbers. It's not just sacks alone that create the value for a player. And I'm happy to have Golden back on the roster, but I also look at it and say, listen, there's a lot of factors that go into this. And just because he was a 10 sack guy doesn't mean that he's a 10 sack quote talent player. Right. Um, In addition to that, you think about, again, like to your point, Griffin's uh, is older. So the, the, the payout is commiserate with the idea of you're probably winding it down as opposed to ramping it up. So while Ngakwe has that lower rating, the ceiling is obviously higher over, over the contract that you want to bring him in on uh, in terms of what you hope he's going to continue to grow and build into. And, and that you also mentioned it too. I think there's a, a distinct difference between Everson Griffin and Jadavian uh, Clowney in that way, because you're talking about a guy, I think in Clowney who, if the giants wanted to pay him $10 million to come in, he'd be happy to do so. And I don't know what the results are that you're going to get from him on the field, as opposed to Griffin, who I think, 
then he's made his money as well. Not that Clowney hasn't done okay for himself, but this is a guy who I think is happy or willing to take a lower salary and give himself a chance to compete for a championship. I don't know if Jadavian Clowney has that same mindset because I almost think I do know because if he did, I think he would have worked out terms to be a part of that roster in Seattle who make the trade to bring in uh, you know, the cast off there from the Jets, you know, so they're building towards com- competition and deep playoff runs here. So you could have met in the middle ground, I think, uh, with Seattle, if that was your number one concern competing for championships. Yeah. And, and look, I, I think Clowney is a great talent. He's had some, some injury concerns. I wouldn't say that he's injury prone, but the style of play and the position he plays, he's obviously going to be in the mix um, with a lot of contact, you know, I, I would love it if the Giants signed Clowney. I, I prefer it actually to be a longer term deal than a shorter term deal because in, in the short term, I don't I don't really know what signing Clowney does for us this year. It it may make our defense slightly right. better, but again, are are we are we competing for a championship this year or are we building around a young nucleus and a new head coach? So, you know, I see the Everson Griffin signing and I say, great deal for Dallas. I don't really know like if he would have signed with the Giants, what, what does that mean? Then we have Marcus Golden and we have Everson Griffin. We have our three defensive line. Like I, in the short term, to me, it doesn't really add up to too much. Yeah, at some point, you just have to understand where you are as a franchise. You're in the rebuild, and I think if you're going to look at the Giants as a fan, you have to say, "Why aren't we spending money on veteran talent?" Because we don't we don't need to right now, and it's okay. Understanding you're going to maybe be bad. And it's okay to be bad at four or five wins as opposed to putting some window dressing on a season and saying, look, we, we won six games because we signed Everson Griffin. I don't think that's as important as developing the young talent. Beyond that, you know, we'll obviously keep an eye. I'm going to be curious here. Do you, do you think that the Giants are still going to look to pursue another cornerback on the free agent market? Is there still another body out there? Because Again, to your point, you know, Kirkpatrick, there's other names out there that are at least on the same level as a Ross Cockrell. It looked like that was the the guy that they were willing to bring in. Is is the search over for them and they're going to live with the roster and say young talent that they brought in to compete? Or is there still a move to be made for them? So there is other guys like Tremaine Johnson that's still out there and and anyone that in the New York market knows he didn't really work out too well for, for the Jets, but you can't hold previous contracts against the guy. If you can get him at a good value and he's worth bringing him in, sure. Um, I don't think that they're going to make any short-term, uh, near-term free agent signings at the quarterback position. What I do think is going to happen is as we get closer to the season and these rosters get trimmed down from other teams and we go from 80 to 72 to the 55-man roster, there's going to be a lot of talented players that are no longer on these teams. I see that as the more uh, prudent avenue for the Giants to take because there's going to be an influx of players that are going to come on the market in about a month. Yeah, for sure. And that's, you know, the Giants did it last year as well. Now, these guys don't always work out, but I think every season when you're in a rebuild, you look at other rosters and say, boy, your fourth best, maybe even our, just our third best. And that's still an improvement uh, for us. And then when you talk about the cornerback position, you may, again, young players that don't make the cut somewhere else, definitely worth taking a look just to see. All of a sudden you go, wow, maybe we have our slot guy, maybe it, even just a depth player, because I mentioned Grant Haley earlier. There's still going to be these, uh, you know, backup and depth roles that we need on this roster as well. Last thing I'll, uh, we'll talk about, we mentioned Everson Griffin there. Uh, this is going to be 
a test for the offensive line, right? You're talking about a very strong defensive unit there. Obviously, we know the Washington Redskins drafted some young talent at the top of the draft as well. The test for this offensive line is going to be that proverbial baptism by fire, and it's going to be interesting to see how this line holds up. If they can play even to a respectable level against some very strong talent, even just inside the division, that's going to be a nice feather in the cap as you start to move through this year as well. Yeah, I mean, the Everson Griffin signing is troublesome because it does make the the Dallas defensive line and their pass rush even that more, <laughs> much more explosive. And the Giants have to play him two times. And, you know, in order for us to have any shot at the division, we're going to have to split with Dallas. We can't go 0-2 to them. So in, in the, you know, tactical side of things, it doesn't really help the Giants, especially knowing that Nate Solder opted out. We do have a lot of young pieces across the line trying to get Andrew Thomas acclimated. It certainly doesn't make the job easier for them. And I will listen. I'll, I'll tie it into this as well. Again, I don't want to. I don't want to be blowing my own t- horn over here about being a Nets guy. But one of the big things about them was when Jacques Vaughn went into the 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 delay there and the shutdown in March for the NBA season. He immediately got into communication with the players, started sending them exercise bikes, started sending them tapes, started getting you know meeting virtual meeting rooms. All these things really ramped up for Jacques Vaughn because he was in a position to make a, a statement that he deserves to be the head coach. Not dissimilarly, I think the turnover to Joe Judge was a smart one because first opportunity, first impression for Joe Judge. You've heard a lot about the virtual meetings and trying to get up to speed here. So it'll be interesting to see if a young team that's hungry with young talent and a young coaching staff maybe gets their leg up because you're willing to be committed. We've seen that over in the NBA bubble just in terms of how many teams were really ready to go for the restart in Orlando. And the ones that were, the ones that were dedicated coming in, the proof really played out on the court. And maybe we at least see that value in terms of readiness from some of these young players across the line, even in the secondary, just being ready to go week one, game one, when the NFL season kicks off. And to piggyback on that, Adam, I'm, I'm excited that the Giants are approaching this year in the way that we want them to, because you know, for as much as we love Eli Manning, uh, the, the Giants just kind of felt hamstrung when he was there for the last couple of years, thinking we're not going to have you know, our Hall of Fame quarterback part of a rebuild. We're just going to try to reload and we're going to reload on the fly and we're going to make yeah. trades you know, to win now. And that approach only got us so far. You know, in the past five, six seasons, we made the playoffs once. So to me, in, instead of doing all those different things, you have this perfect opportunity with a new coaching staff, young quarterback, young running back, young secondary to be able to say, we are taking this year to develop our team because that means in 18 months, we're going to be even better than we are today. It's the long-term approach that you want a team to have. And hopefully they are doing exactly that. Uh, anything else, Andy, that the people should know about from you? I, uh, you're a busy guy. You're a man of business, as we've as we've affirmed here today. Do, do the people need some insider trading news? <laughs> well, I, I think the one <laughs> the one last thing that I, I will say is, um, you know, college football. You know, the Pac-12 and, and the Big Ten no longer playing in the fall, which, uh, yeah, creates some problems because you think about the logistics that that they have. I mean, the NFL teams have very similar logistics to, to deal with. Bigger teams, bigger rosters, bigger coaching staffs, not able to play in a bubble like the NBA or the NHL. So they've already decided that they're not playing in the fall. 
you know, the ACC hat and, and SEC are, are kind of at a wait and see moment. But I, I'm going to tell you, Adam, if the, if the entire college football season gets canceled, I, I I'd be you know fingers crossed, praying that the that, that the NFL season will still happen. Well, okay, I'll, I'll extend the conversation on this end because they've already thrown this out about how can you do it? You know, what 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 the NFL try to get in place here? We saw a back-end roster player for the Seattle uh, Seahawks get cut because he tried to sneak someone into the team hotel, and it was very clear. Obviously, you're not someone important, first of all. But also, if you break the team rule about trying to protect you know, containment and keep everyone healthy and safe and free of uh, any positive test, we're going to go ahead and move on from you. Adam, the, the best thing about that story is that the, the Seattle Seahawks cornerback, uh, who was a rookie trying to make the roster, gave all of his team equipment and merchandise and stuff that he has to wear in the bubble to a female who then dressed up to try to pretend like she was a Seattle Seahawks player to yeah. get into the building. I mean, <laughs> same kind of built, same kind of stature. What's the, you, I don't understand the promise. You can't even make that up. If you tried, you couldn't, it's like no. throwing on a mustache and being like, Nope, different person, you know, like <laughs> just, well, by the way, uh, they said that she actually was wearing the helmet when she walked in and said, listen, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just a player just doing my thing here. Hel- Where's yeah, the practice obviously. field? <laughs> obviously look i'm wearing the helmet how could i not be a member of the team you guys are ridiculous i'm i'm, I'm leaving oh okay i see um but, but so, so that yeah it seems like teams at least individually are taking this stuff seriously but the thought that i had was it, it, you talk about being able to how do you bubble the nfl it's hard to do based on the schedule but if you want to get creative about it why not just be as simple as saying and they've talked about how you would say well Maybe the NFC East, right? All four teams, they bubble together in, let's say, New York. You play that. And then after four weeks, just divisional games, you go ahead and you say, we're going to play the AFC West. And you travel to a new location with those teams and you play that out. But I would take it a step further and say it's a unique season, a unique situation. If you are the NFL, understanding, is there going to be impacts? Yes. Will it probably shake out relative to strength strength of schedule? we'll use the giants as the example bubble up in New York and say that the Dallas Cowboys, the Washington Redskins and the Philadelphia Eagles are all going to come and bubble up together. And that's who we play this year that you play these teams six times a year. You're going to play them. And maybe you even shorten the season if you needed to like, right. If necessary to give some extra wiggle room, you say you're now going to play everybody in your division three times or four times. And listen, based on strength of schedule, if you're the Giants, you say, well, we get, quote, easier matchup against the Washington Redskins. And then we have difficult ones against the Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles. Generally speaking, I bet that that plays out about the same way that it would if all of these teams played through a traditional 16-game schedule. I think that over, say, four matchups with the Dallas Cowboys, maybe we go one and three. Okay, Dallas, you know, slants themselves. And then when you came to the point of the playoffs, you would say, right, now we're down to just the six teams from each division, they can go and bubble up and play and work your way through it uh, like that and see how things are progressing along the way. I, you know, is that likely? No, but I think that that's what the NFL should have been looking at. How do we create mini bubbles around the country to be able to execute the schedule? Because as it stands right now, even though they've gone ahead with all these protocols and everything they're doing now, 
this is all back-end work. The NFL did not get together and think about what this was going to look like. Their bigger concern is if the college football season cancels, we've got revenue to grab on a Saturday night. And, and that's a big problem from the for, for me, from the NFL's perspective. You're so focused on the money that you can grab, you're failing to realize that you may not have a chance because you may not be playing. Right. And, and to me, it, it ends up coming down to like, what is the setup that you could have? What's the minimum viable product for people to not think that this is just a money grab, a sham, a joke of a season, right? Like if if you're like, if they're like, okay, we're going to do the NFC East and we're going to bubble them and you're going to play each other 16 times. And then we're just going to like put, put the top five teams in the league in in a mini bubble. And they're going to do a round Robin and we're going to hand the Super Bowl out to whoever wins the round Robin. It's like, like, uh, to me, at some point, I don't know where where the line is, but at some point, you're just kind of like, yeah, this isn't a season. Like, this is not – like, I'll watch it, which is what the NFL – is the only thing the NFL cares about. But, like, mm-hmm. is it really a season? Like, and, and I think – Would you – but so would you, would you not – so, you know, two games per division opponent, you think playing four games against your division opponents would – I mean, obviously, it'd be different, but you would think that that's starkly – devalued relative to playing a spectrum of games well uh, but if that's the only games that you're playing like to me it it just i don't know but go but go but go around like i'm saying this so go around the league though name a division where by playing in the division you would be you would be getting a starkly different result by playing two games against everyone in your division and then the other 10 around the league versus just playing inside the division right like Go out to like, what you I mean, the, the NFC N- West would be a great example, right? Yes, like N- okay, but but NFC West, okay, fine. But the third place team in that division isn't probably going to make the wild card anyway. So you'd be saying, What we think it's going to be Seattle and we think it's going to be the 49ers as the top two teams in that division. More than likely, they're going to finish that way no matter what. And that second best record is, okay, you're going to see if you make the wild card. Now, there probably is going to be a slight variation of saying you you probably would have been a 10-win team, but you're going to be a 9-win team. But again, if that plays out across the league, it's going to somewhat level itself out, right? Is the NFC South going to look starkly different in terms of who wins the division versus who maybe is in line for a wild card if you just lived inside of that? Uh, t- to me, I don't know. I just look at the NFC West as to your point, and we had three teams that had winning records, and that is a very, very difficult division to to win. And to me, it, it, it's it's an even tougher <laughs> toll for those teams in that division than it would be, say, for the AFC, you know, South. Right? Like if if you were to look at uh, something like the Colts and the Jaguars and the Titans and the Texans, like. Ah, is that the right? But okay, but, but so so that's a good example, right? Because okay, so the Jaguars aren't a good team, but the Titans, the Colts, the Texans—if they all played it out, would you be, you know, after all those games, and it was the you know the the Titans fin- they finished nine, you know you finished nine and seven again, and maybe you you don't catch a wild card spot from that, but the Texans end up winning the division on some offensive firepower, everyone look at, or the Colts who are a pretty complete team on both sides of the ball. If they can't, like, I think that the net result would end up being relatively the same to what you would get. You know what I mean? Like, and there's going to be those discrepancies. But so instead of playing a weak non-division opponent, you end up playing a weak in-division opponent an extra couple of times. And if you look at it and you say, okay, the Jaguars aren't that good and you're going to play the Colts four times, 
So the Colts are probably going to go three and one there. And even if they went two and two, normally during a regular season, you say, well, yeah, can can a bad team in the division upset somebody and, and steal a game and split the season series? Yeah. I, the way I'm thinking about it, it's pretty simple. If the Giants had to play, say, the Cowboys five times, the Eagles five times, and the Redskins five times, 15-game season, right? to me, that would just not feel like a real season. And I, I don't know how to put a, you know, a finger on it. I don't know really how to define it. But to your point, it, it's not necessarily about would it, would it come out in the wash uh, you know, in terms of wins and losses. Will the, will the best team rise up? Like I, I understand the majority of that will happen. I think for right. me, it's just, does it feel like a real season if we do that? Like, does it even matter at that point? And I think that's where the NFL has a tough time figuring out if they are going to do some of these mini bubbles or they are going to change off of what their plan is now. They really have to start thinking about, you know, where that line is that you can draw to say like, no, this is a valid season. We don't need an asterisk. We don't need anything around it. Well, yeah. And I guess that, so my, my, my point would be is if, if it's the option of maybe playing exclusively in division or some version of that versus going ahead as normal and then finding out in week three, they go, yeah, we got to shut it down. And we're going to check back in in a few weeks and see where it stands. Like that's kind of my threshold, right? I'd rather do some other version of the NFL season than just be like, Oh, turns out it's over, you know, and like that. And that's what I, the risk that I think the NFL is running right now, but we'll, we'll assume that I'm right. And we'll leave it there for now. Uh, you can follow us on social media at one giant podcast. You can of course head over to iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast needs fulfilled, download rate review and subscribe. We'll be coming back in as real football action in the training camp. Start to gear up here as we approach, hopefully the regular season, we're going to start to lay out those stat line predictions for all the big names on the roster, how some of those uh, shares for receptions and, and carries and yards, et cetera, will break down for us. And maybe even label some of our our little stars. Who's going to step up at the cornerback position? That'll be unfolding over the next couple of weeks. But until then, friends, be safe out there. Enjoy the summer season. And as Andy Makowitz wants you to know, let's go Big Blue. 